Welcome to Companion Pass. I'm thrilled to have you along on this wild ride as we explore the untamed world of rodeo life and the families and supporters that make it all happen. From thrilling arena action to quiet moments behind the scenes, this podcast is your ticket to the heart of true rodeo life. I'm Lindsay Branquino, and as a rodeo wife and mom myself, I've experienced firsthand the joys and challenges of life in and around rodeo. Together, we'll dive deep with rodeo families, rodeo athletes, and other folks who are living and breathing the Western way of life. We'll explore topics like raising families while husbands are away, navigating the dangers of a professional rodeo career, keeping a relationship alive when you're hundreds of miles apart, and what it takes to pursue your own goals in the midst of it all. Whether you're part of a rodeo family, a fan, or just someone who loves Western culture, Companion Pass will give you all the real, unfiltered insights you've been looking for. Let's dig in. Welcome back to Companion Pass. On today's episode, we have one of my favorite fellow steer wrestler wives. Not that I play favorites, but she's pretty awesome. Josie Martin is here today. She is an RN. She is married to Tristan Martin, who she's going to have to correct me. I think two-time NFR qualifier. Is that right? Yeah. Yes, I got it right. (laughs) (laughs) Josie, thanks for being here. Yes, I'm so excited and happy to get to talk to you. (laughs) Yeah. Now, you were actually, I think, the last written piece I had on my website, Companion Pass. So we all got to know a little bit about you then, and I just loved that. It was last year. I was actually looking at it yesterday, and it was last April. So we have come full circle. This is like our one-year anniversary, (laughs) me and you. (laughs) Yeah, cool. I should have sent you flowers. (laughs) So... I was hoping that we could just jump right in here and you could tell us a little bit about you, about how you grew up. Yeah. So I'm originally from a small town in Wyoming. My parents had a ranch. They actually leased dude horses. So they ran, when I was growing up, like a thousand to twelve hundred head of dude horses that would go to like kids camps, guest ranches, outfitters, stuff like that. And then we also had cows and whatever. So my first like rodeo horses were sour old dude horses that they're maybe a little too frisky for a tourist kid or something. And, yeah. Um, yeah. So I got started that way pretty young. I was all I was riding on the ranch mostly and then really didn't start competing a lot until I was more like junior high age. And then after that, I got one nice kind of barrel and pole horse that started to get competitive. And we just started traveling a little bit more and took off from there. And I rodeoed through high school and college also. Do you have brothers and sisters? I do. I have a both younger sister that she's two years younger and a brother that's five years younger. I couldn't even tell you. I think my sisters turned 25 this last year. And then my brother, I think, turned 22. And did they rodeo also growing up or was it just you? No, we all did, especially as kids, all of us did. When my sister got to high school, she was way more like artsy and creative than the rest of us. So she actually did a lot more like theater pottery. And then my brother, he rodeoed and stuff too. My brother is actually still on the ranch with my parents. Oh, that's great. But you had had quite a bit of success in high school and college rodeoing. Yeah, I call myself a has-been cowgirl now, but <laughs> aren't we all? <laughs> yes, I know, all of us. I made junior high finals, high school finals, college finals. Goat tying was my main event, but I roped and stuff too. But yeah, it was fun. I ended up, I think, 
like top five maybe in at the college finals in the goat tie in one year. And then I actually coached for a year while I was finishing my nursing degree at the school that I was going to. The head coach, Drew Shock, was a good family friend. And I just helped with the goat tying and a little bit of the secretary admin duties. So my title was assistant coach, but I didn't do much coaching really. <laughs> and you can really say that rodeo is what drew you and Tristan together because you guys met at the high school national finals, right? Yes. That's, every time we go through Rock Springs, Tristan likes to say, this is where you fell in love with me. And I'm like, okay, okay. it was the other way around. But <laughs> We all know it was but. the other way around. We've seen you. <laughs> but yeah, we met in 2014 at the high school finals. And he thinks that he's because he won the steer wrestling at the high school finals that year. And he thinks that I was like chasing him around or something, but he had a girlfriend at the time. Like we had mutual friends or whatever. And it's just funny because like I knew who he was, but I guess it's, even then it's funny. Social media was like so much less of a thing than it is now that I think we were actually been friends on Facebook and had not spoken since high school when we finally like rekindled in like 2017. It's just funny. And then you guys reconnected again at Denver Rodeo, right? Yes. Me and a bunch of my friends had gone down and we we're going to go wa- go to the, like the Denver Zoo. In Wyoming, you got to travel a full six hours to get to do anything entertaining. So we drove to Denver. We we're going to go see the Christmas lights at the zoo. And we had a couple of friends that live like Cheyenne, Denver area. So we were all just hanging out after school got out. And we were watching Slack during the qualifier and he Tristan came up to me. I had seen him already and I texted my friend. I was like, I think Tristan Martin is here. He's so cute. Oh my gosh. And then Tristan comes up to me like not 10 minutes later and he's like, do you remember me? And I was just like, no, uh, remind me. <laughs> Best line ever. Yeah. And I guess that hooked him. So we started chit-chatting and talking and texting. And then eventually I made a, bought a one-way plane tickets, Louisiana, spent 10 days, and we've been together pretty much since. I love that. You talked a little bit about your companion pass piece, which I strongly encourage anybody to go back and read because it's going to live there forever. I think I think it should be revisited. But you talked about the period where you guys were dating and long distance and what that was like for you, how difficult that was. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So especially at the beginning, I was in Wyoming. He's in Louisiana. He's rodeoing. I was in nursing school, which was like pretty, it was pretty tough, at least really time demanding. I don't know how I was doing it, but we were seeing each other every like three weeks or so really, which was a lot considering how far apart we were. That's really impressive. Getting to see him every three weeks with the schedule they maintain and then you being in nursing school. I don't even know how we were doing it, but it was just working out that I could get a cheap plane ticket to fly into, like I flew to San Antonio and for super cheap and it was over Valentine's Day and stuff like that. Or I'd fly into Houston and he was driving back home from a rodeo and would pick me up and we'd go back to his parents and I'd fly home out of Lake Charles on the Sunday to get back to school and it just worked out for us. But yeah, it was really hard, especially sitting at home. Like, I really need 100% brain power to be trying to study. And Tristan's at a rodeo. It's like the middle of the night. He might be like beer tent bar, whatever. Or I want to watch the rodeo or I want to be at the rodeo. And um, that was like before Cowboy Channel and stuff too. So we're not, 
even able to watch. Now I can flip my app on and watch all the time. But yeah, it was hard. In that first year, we were just, we were, I guess we were just such young, like in love kids that it wasn't, that's why we really stayed together is because I think we just cared about each other so much because it got harder. And then we had a rocky patch after the first year or so that we weren't even together for a few months. And, but I think if we hadn't just had such a good connection the first year, we wouldn't have made it. So one of the quotes that you said in your companion pass piece that stands out for me that I really related to is that there are a lot of lonely nights at home waiting on a phone call and then hearing a rowdy beer tent in the background when he finally does call is just the reality for a lot of us rodeo wives. Yeah. I just, I think that's so true because that's often your only connection to them or you're waiting on the call because you want to hear how they did or wanting to just find that connection point in the day between the two of you and the reality of the lives that you're living if you're at home working or with the baby is very different from the reality of the life that they're living out on the road and not that you begrudge them that but there is that, like, I found for me personally, like, sometimes it stings a little bit. Like, you hear that, and it's not because you don't want them to be out enjoying their lives, but you want to be a part of it with them. And I think it those moments, for me, it made me, I guess it made it sink in how disconnected I was from just what was going on in the small day-to-day moments of his life. Yeah, I feel like it's easy to start to feel like you're the single parent a little bit. I know, especially this last year, I felt like that. And I was like, we are living like two completely separate lives. I'm like, my life consists of 100% around what baby wants to do, or if I got to go to work, plus taking care of everything at home. And he drives, runs a steer. Where are we going to eat? Someone pick up some beer? Like, and I know for me, I will tend to get a little bit bitter where I'm like, I'm over here. I'm like busting my ass at home to try and just stay afloat with things. And not that it's not hard for them, but it is really hard when they're like enjoying themselves and living it up a little bit. It's like a rock star lifestyle. They're hanging out with their friends every day. I joke with Tristan. I'm like, you're on a three month bachelor trip every summer. And wow, I'm at home. And It's okay. I wouldn't trade motherhood or my job career for anything, but you're right. It does create a big disconnect, especially for long periods of time. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, it's, you can start to feel bitter a little bit. I, and I think that's really true. I think that when, and it probably goes both ways for them and us. But I think that when we're just seeing those parts of their lives, when we're at home saddled with so much of the responsibility of kids and a job and taking care of a house and whatever that comes with it, and you feel like they're living this very footloose and fancy free life without a lot of the responsibility and knowing that they have somebody at home taking care of those things. That I know in my mind, I would have to consciously remind myself sometimes that what he's out there doing is not always glamorous Mm -hmm. and that they are doing these like all night drives and that it is hard. But it was definitely I always felt like I was walking a tightrope on 
balancing my feelings about that mm-hmm. and not letting it create a wedge between us. Do you ever feel like that? Yeah, for sure. Especially because I start to feel sometimes too where I'm like, you're home, like when he's home and he's practicing or whatever, we become the rock where it's like, we need someone to open the shoot. We need someone to cook dinner. We need, I'm there day in, day out, trying to be as supportive and helpful with all of these tasks so he can practice, so he can get to the rodeo, doing laundry and cleaning the trailer and getting everything done that I have to do, plus preparing all of his stuff so he can get on the road. And then I'm like, then you get a 45 second phone call after he wins this big rodeo and I'm at home nervous, wanting him to do good. And then I get one little bitty 45 second phone call and I'm now I'm understanding better than I did, you know, even three, four years ago when we first got together. But it still is hard because you just you miss them and you feel a sense of accomplishment too when they do good you know at least I do look how hard we've worked and look how much you've put into it and here we are this is like the fruits of our labor and not really getting to necessarily enjoy it with them that's the hard part for me yeah I mean you're definitely and you in particular which I can vouch for I follow you on social (laughs) media which I love to do and I think you do a really great job of portraying the reality of how many late nights you're out there with them in the practice pen and supporting them. You are really a great example of someone who selflessly supports him in so many ways. And so you send them out on the road. You want them to do their best. And when they do, it's a great feeling because you're so excited for them. But at the same time, you're not getting to enjoy any of that moment in in a way I think probably just that you want to. Thank you. First of all, that was a nice compliment. But yeah, the good thing is we've got a lot of family at home. Tristan had the huge family. He's the oldest of eight kids. He's the oldest of 50 something grandkids and they all live like very close to each other. And especially during the summer, he's in a short round and it's like a big rodeo. We'll be like, oh, we're cooking tonight. We've got a big TV under the carport and everybody comes over and we're it, we have a little watch party to watch Tristan. And So I'll get to celebrate, be excited and share it with somebody, which I'm really thankful for because I'm not just by myself, but it is hard when you want to share it. I want to share it with Tristan more than anybody. I'm proud of him. I'm excited and and not just the good, but the bad too. There's nothing worse than when he's having bad luck and wanting to come home and not sure if I should just get a job and this isn't working out and I need to support my family and blah, blah, blah. And you're 800 miles away from him and can't even just give him a hug. That's just as bad as missing out on the wins. I don't know. It's just a balancing act that I I don't think any of us will probably ever figure out 100%, but I'm doing my best. (laughs) No, I don't think there is any figuring it out. I think you just do the best you can. And I don't know about you, but I felt like it never, it was like Murphy's Law Rodeo Edition that Anytime Luke had like his highest days, his biggest wins, and he would call, it inevitably coincided when I was having like my worst day. Yes. (laughs) And so you never feel that gap between the lives you're living. I never felt that gap as strongly as in those moments where he would call and he's just like on top of the world and there's cheering in the background and it's so exciting or you're getting pictures, or you're seeing it trickle down through social media Mm -hmm. before you even hear from him. And I would feel like the house was falling down around me. And that can be so hard. It starts feeling like 
you're living parallel lives that only are crossing every once in a while because so much of what's going on in your life is not the same as what's going on in his. And for me, that really became a struggle when so many of the people around me couldn't relate to what I was going through because I didn't have other close friends that were nearby who had husbands that did anything like mine did. So I didn't feel understood and I didn't know where to go to find other people that were like, oh, I get it. So you didn't feel crazy and didn't feel like you're the only one. So yeah. I would hope that Tristan's family, having them nearby at least and understanding that some is a benefit to you. Yeah. And honestly, a couple of Tristan's aunts. So, you know, Casey, Tristan's uncle made the finals a couple of times and rodeoed for several years. And his wife, Shauna, will talk and she's like, I know, girl, I know. And she's very spiritual. So she is always a good one for me to talk to because she'll give me she'll be my like spiritual kind of sounding board I guess and gives me a good like prayer direction to go in and then he has another aunt that you know or another uncle that rodeoed not as hard his wife still experienced a lot of the same things not for as long and not as on as big of a scale but it's the same thing she experienced all the same things and she's my person to go to when I just need a pick me up a pep talk and then his Tristan's mom and sisters are like my best friends so having them they're close is it's really important to me I don't know what I would do if I didn't have that especially being so far from my family I don't know what I would do without them yeah now I grew up in Arizona And Luke grew up in California and I moved to California when we got married and I felt like I was a long ways away from my family, Mm -hmm. which was really hard because I was close to him. And I always say that I married into a big Portuguese family (laughs) because Luke did have all the cousins and aunts and uncles and everybody was always around and they were loud and rowdy and totally different from how I grew up where we were close, but we were all polite. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so when I married into this family, it was just like larger than life. I was shell-shocked at first, and it's been so wonderful, and I feel so lucky to have them. But that was a big change for me. But then I think about you, and I don't know what your family was like other than your brothers and sisters that you mentioned in Wyoming. But A, Wyoming and Louisiana, I can't imagine, (laughs) share many similarities. Yeah. And two, you, if I thought I married into a big family— yours puts yes. mine to shame. <laughs> yeah. So my family, we're close, but also like you're saying, like more reserved. We're not big like cuddlers, not big huggers. Tristan's dad makes fun of me all the time. They force me to hug them because I'm just like, I hug, but I'm not a big <laughs> cuddly, touchy, whatever. <laughs> and so I, that's part of the problem too, is I'm like very I'm introverted. I like to be in my own house. I like to be in a routine, do my own thing. And with their family, they're so just like rambunctious and fun and fly by the seat of their pants. There's always something going on. And they want to, the little kids, they, Jojo, can we come to your house? Can I take a bath with Boudreaux? Can we go to, can you take a seat pizza and all this stuff? And I love it. But then just my personality type, like the way I was raised, I just need a little, even when Tristan's gone, I just, I I have to like reel it in and take some time by myself. So that's a big adjustment too, that even not related to any rodeo, anything is just the family dynamic difference. Yeah. I do say that rodeo people, cowboy people are pretty much the same everywhere. The lifestyles similar, the morals, the values, the sense of humor 
with my family and Tristan's family. It's it's very similar. Our dads are good friends. Tristan and my dad are like best friends, talk on the phone all the time because they just get it. Rodeo people just get it. So that hasn't been a hard adjustment. But the culturally, everything else in Louisiana is totally different than why. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have to learn to love really spicy food? I, yeah, my mom used to make fun of me. She'd be like, like ketchup is too spicy for Josie. Like she, and so now like I can take some spice. I'm not like a real Cajun. So I still have to like, everyone comes and eats when I cook and they add more seasoning to their stuff because they say it's not spicy enough, but I'm getting there. Okay. But give us like, if you can give the people out there a perspective on how big this family is, like that you're immediately surrounded by. Cause I remember- When Casey, Tristan's uncle, and Luke were rodeo at the same time, and he stayed with us somewhere, and he was breaking it down for us, and I was amazed. Yeah. So just like a brief family tree, Tristan's dad is the oldest uncle. He's the, old, he's the oldest of nine. He has eight kids. The next sister has seven. The next brother has 12. The next brother has seven. One has 10. One has five. One has two, one has three. So there's literally 50-something grandkids. Then great-grandkids. Boudreaux's the third oldest of, I think, five, maybe. And so we go to practice, right? We'll go out. They usually breakaway rope first. They've got six or seven kids that are junior high and high school age that are breakaway open. So they run about eight or nine rounds of calves. Then they start bulldogging. They shoot dog first. So they've got I guess junior high kids, there's probably six junior high boys that are sheepdogging, plus they invite neighbors and friends and whoever. There'll be 15, 20 kids sheepdogging. And then jumping steers, there's usually Tristan plus three cousins for sure, and then a couple more. So practicing, Tristan starts getting the arena ready at two o'clock, and we're never done before 10. I'm not good at math, but based on people you just listed off, there's got to be at least 217 Martins. (laughs) There's like literally a million. That's my sister-in-law's getting married in May. And we're like trying to figure out like head count, how many invitations. And I was like, look, when we did our wedding, just y'all's family, we counted like 150. (laughs) That's just y'all's like aunt, uncle's cousin. So just keep that in mind. So switching gears a little bit here, because... Tristan's first NFR, he, this blows my mind about you. And I was going to have you tell the story, but part of me thinks that I need to tell it so that (laughs) no part of this is downplayed because I will always and forever be in all of you. So Tristan makes the finals. And that's a great story in and of itself that you should tell. But when you went to the finals, you were what, like 38 weeks pregnant? 38. Yeah. So, like, most women at 38 weeks are not putting on pants at this point, right? They're just like, whatever. You're in survival mode. You go from Louisiana to Las Vegas. (laughs) Not only that, you looked amazing every single night. There was a belly painting incident that you're going to have to touch on. (laughs) You were the one that should have left Vegas with a gold buckle, by the way. (laughs) But the part that gets me is that... Round 10, it's over. You guys drive straight home from Nevada to Louisiana. I think that's like, what, 30-something hours? Yeah, it's like a 30. You get back to Louisiana and three hours later have a baby. (laughs) 
These are not exaggerated <laughs> numbers. That is mind blowing. So walk us through your NFR experience now that I've hit the high points and everybody's had a minute to pick their jaws up off the ground. Superwoman. Yeah, I don't know if I would do that again, but we made it. Yeah. So it was the first year Tristan had made the final. So we like wanted a baby so bad. We've been trying to get pregnant. I had to take some medication to be able to get pregnant. And honestly, we just wanted to get pregnant so bad. We did not even think about the math at all. So we I found out I was pregnant in April and we start doing the math, go to my first appointment. We're like, oh, Tristan, if you make the NFR, which at this point, he's like 79th in the world. Like not, he had won like maybe $2,500. So if you make the finals, we're going to have a Vegas baby. Next thing, come September, Tristan's 13, 14, 15. And we're like, oh shit. Like we might actually (laughs) be having a baby in Vegas. Cool. That's fun. I knew I was going to be a scheduled C-section. So That gave me like a little, I guess, comfort where they're like, my doctor told me like, there's no way, like the baby's head wouldn't even drop. His head was too big old Martin baby head. Couldn't drop. He's like, we have to do a C-section. I'm like, okay. He didn't want to take the baby before we left. He didn't want to do a C-section before we left. He's like, it's too soon. His lungs aren't developed. Big fat baby boys don't do good when you take them too early. So we're going to wait and he had me come in the Saturday we left he met me in his office like my doctor was amazing met me this Saturday morning nobody else in the office he flips on ultrasound machine himself he's like all right we're just gonna check real quick make sure you're okay before you hit the road I want you to go to a labor and delivery center and get checked out at least one time while you're there and if you don't have a baby before you get back call me it's like okay call I love that (laughs) So we go through the whole NFR. I didn't do anything. I pretty much stayed in the hotel room all day, would get dressed. It was like a four-hour process for me to get dressed because I had to sit down to get ready at night. But go to the rodeo, come back and go to the room, which was honestly good. And I think I talked about it in the companion pass, but Tristan was so nervous and like we were so on edge about we don't want this baby to come yet. We want to make it home. That we were able, had a good excuse to separate ourselves from like the party scene and everything. And it was really good, like bonding with each other, I guess, for that two weeks. We really connected a lot before, like during the rodeo and before baby came. We found out I was pregnant and we said that about him, you know, the baby would be due during the NFR. He's like, if you're still pregnant and I make the NFR, you got to paint your belly for one round at the NFR. And I was like, okay, fine, whatever. So yeah, we get there round seven. I had started having contractions. We went to early labor. They didn't do anything. And so we're like, if we're going to paint my belly, we got to, I was going to do it round 10. We're like, we better do it now because we not, we might not make it to Saturday. I might not be pregnant for three more days. Yeah. <laughs> so we painted my belly. I had a big 104 on my belly, which was fun. It was cute. And then, yeah, we get through round 10 and the next morning, me, Tristan, his dad and his uncle Jairus and his little brother all load up in the truck and trailer and start driving. And we drove straight through back to Louisiana. I called my doctor when we were like in Amarillo or something. And I was like, hey, we're about 10, 12 hours. Uh, I'm still pregnant. And he's like, okay, don't eat or drink anything. When y'all get here, come in. I'll get you scheduled for a C-section tonight. And I was like, okay. So we got home, showered. We got to Sulphur like 3 o'clock, showered, grabbed my baby stuff, and went to the hospital, and Boudreaux was born at 6.30. <laughs> 
Oh my gosh, you win. You will forever have. Until someone has a baby in the middle of the arena, you will win. Best story. And also, too, all joking aside, I think that really speaks to just like how incredibly supportive you are. And two, clearly how much Tristan really appreciates that and wants you by his side, which I think really speaks to your guys' partnership. So you should be really proud of that. Thank you. So now you've got baby Boudreaux, cutest little thing ever. (laughs) How has that changed rodeo life for you, introducing a baby into the mix? Yeah. So last summer I went out and I stayed out for like three weeks or so, almost the whole month of July. And it was fine because Boudreaux was not mobile. (laughs) I could carry him everywhere. He stayed where I put him. He couldn't, he was crawling and I wanted to be out there. It was a lot of fun. Now I don't really want to go anymore. I like being at the rodeo, but just traveling with a toddler, it's really hard on him because he at home, he goes outside, he plays with his cows, he jumps on the trampoline. He's got, we've got 15 head of cows that like eat out of his hand, literally. And he's got all these cousins and he's just a little boy. He just likes to be out and about and in the trailer is hard. The weather's not good. Most of the time he can be outside, but then when we're driving like in the truck, it just makes me want to pull my hair out. If anything, he'll sleep a lot of the time in the truck, but then we get ready to go to bed that night and he doesn't want to sleep because he took a four-hour nap in the truck and it's hard. He sleeps with us, so even just the logistics of bringing a baby up on the top bunk of the trailer and bathing them in the shower, we got to put him in a feed bucket to bathe them in the bathroom. And it's all like good problems to have. You don't want to be complaining about literally living the life we always talked about. But it just is a lot more difficult than I maybe anticipated having a toddler running around. And I think that as far as when Tristan's gone and we're at home, it's a lot harder for Tristan. I know he makes a lot more trips home. He does a lot less of the, oh, we're going to make the whole California run and stay out there the whole time. And it's more, oh, I'm going to fly for this day and fly home. And then so there's a lot more of that. He wants us to come with him all summer. We have been going back and forth on that. But it's definitely different. But I'll tell you one thing. The coolest thing ever is watching Boudreaux watch his dad. He knows when the bulldog can start. He hollers, dad, and he claps. And it's just, it was so surreal. Like, in Thomas and Mac, Boudreaux sitting on my lap watching the rodeo. Like, that was just, it was just the coolest thing ever. You can't yeah. compare anything in your life to a moment like that it's those moments that for me there is nothing that compares to that that really makes all the little struggles seem worth it it always felt like a blessing to me because it's like they come along and they remind you why Mm -hmm. why you do it why you suffered through all those like huge challenges you faced all the hard days you're like it does pay off in that respect and I'm glad that Just now when you were talking about that, you brought up a lot of things that I think are so easily overlooked about just the challenges of the decision you're faced with. Because I felt the exact same things like when you were saying that, I'm like, yes, those are the just the logistics that go through your mind that you have to consider. It's like staying home and having your husband out is so hard because you want them there and you know inevitably they're going to miss milestones or special days or just everyday moments that you want to see because you want to be able to look over and be like, did you just see that cute thing he said or that new word he said? And they're not there, which kind of 
it hits your heart a little bit. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there comes an age where you start weighing how fair it is to your kids to take them out there yeah. because it is 12-hour drives that are non-negotiable. It mm-hmm. is tons of hours in the truck and it is just those small things like you said like bathing a baby that when you're home nobody even thinks about and you're like oh yeah how do we do that where do we put the diapers how do we and and it's just really difficult and so easily overlooked that you're faced with such a hard decision and you mentioned that one of the things that you guys have done has tried to be to not be a, apart from each other for more than three weeks. Has it been that way, like your whole marriage, or is that something that's more since you've had the baby? We've pretty much always, we always had a rule before we leave each other, we have our next trip, next meeting, at least a time frame, scheduled plan, book something where we can say, okay, I'm not sure how it's going to work. You're for sure coming home sometime during this week, depending on how you get up at this rodeo. So I know the week of July 22nd, you're going to for three days, whether it's the first part at the end of the week, we always set a plan, at least tentatively. And then he gets to get callbacks and finalize things more from there. But that's the hard part too, that I don't think a lot of maybe people not specifically in the rodeo world don't maybe understand is Tristan doesn't know he's going to rodeos in a month and doesn't know when he's up yet. So it's not like you can book a plane ticket right now for a rodeo that the end of May because he just doesn't know yet. He's not going to get those callbacks until and I know all the rodeos are different. I don't know what specific time frame is, but I know people are always asking When's he up at this rodeo? We want to come see him. Let us know so we can get our stuff books. And I'm like, we don't even have our stuff, but we don't even know where, like, even right now, when we leave here, depending on how he does, he's, we're going to have to drive all night to get back to Houston. He's hopping on a plane and we're taking the rig home because he's got to get to California. If he does good, he's not going to be up until Saturday. If he doesn't do good today, he's up in California tomorrow. And there's a lot of that stuff that I don't know a lot about, but just the time frame is very short. You don't have a lot of time to plan in advance, which is harder for, especially when you're working. That's one of the main reasons I don't work full time anymore was if you wanted to request time off, normal jobs, you need to have your time off request like six weeks in advance or six months in advance. And I don't, I can't do that. I have no idea where he's going to be in six months. So now we're working part time. I can work as I want and make the trips that I can make without having to work around the work schedule. So yeah, that's another added challenge when we're trying to see each other. But especially since Boudreaux has been born, Tristan usually makes it more like two weeks to go without seeing him. And he, he wants to be home, but he wants us out here, which is good. It makes me feel good. It's just, it's a little, like I said, a little more difficult to get him out, get Boudreaux out on the road. That's usually what ends up happening is we make a quick trip somewhere to go see him. Yeah. I think trying to plan anything (laughs) in life, being married to a rodeo cowboy is a logistics nightmare. Because like you said, and I think that's not stressed enough, is that these cowboys and cowgirls do not know where they're going to be more than possibly three weeks. They've got a lot of time if they know three weeks ahead of time where they're going to be. And so there's so much about life, especially with kids. And then when kids start school and stuff that 
it becomes impossible to plan anything. I think Luke and I spent 15 years never going on a vacation because (laughs) who knows when you're ever going to have the time to do it. And so everything gets booked last minute. And then when you're booking everything last minute and these flights, that makes it more expensive. Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. really difficult. And there's just so much, there's so many challenges there. Are you somebody that is more spontaneous or are you more of a planner? I would say for myself, I'm more of a planner, but I'm pretty easily convinced. I told the story on my companion pass too, but the first year Tristan made the finals before Pendleton, he was like, hi, Carl, coming back to the short round in Pendleton. I was pregnant. He was like maybe 14th in the world or something like that. And he calls me that Thursday and he's, or no, maybe it was Friday. I flew in the night before. I flew in Friday night. On Thursday night, he called me. He said, I need you to get on a plane, but you booked you a plane ticket. I just need you to be here. And so the next day after work, I drove to the airport, flew to Pendleton. I was there for the short round and got on a plane and flew back home on Sunday. Had not planned it. not So I can be talked into it pretty easily, but <laughs> I generally like to plan in advance. So like I mentioned earlier, you are an RN, which is amazing in itself. But you're also starting a new business, right? In all your spare time that we've just recapped that you have. (laughs) So actually, my friend, I don't own the business. A friend of ours started a business in a town a few hours from us. And she started adding different branches, I guess, to her business in different areas of Louisiana, where we're doing um, mobile IV services. So I can go to people's houses, start an IV, give you a bag of fluids, plus different vitamins, minerals, amino acids, and stuff, a few different medications. I've been doing a lot for people that are getting over a stomach bug. I've done a few prenatal appointments for women that are in like early stages of pregnancy and been sick. So that's been really fun. I really like the wellness side of nursing a lot more than I like the, I guess, more traditional medicine fixing a problem rather than preventing a problem. So I really enjoyed that a lot. I think that it's a newer kind of avenue. I know Tristan, when we were in Vegas the first year, him and my dad and my father-in-law went to the spot, the Mirage, and they all got a bag of fluids. And (laughs) it cost each person like almost $400. And I was like, oh my gosh, like they do the total and it's $1,500 for the three of them. I was like, Okay. And I know that little nurse isn't getting paid that much to do that. But so it's just, it's been fun to offer that service that is more of, I think, been being more of a celebrity treatment. Like Kylie Jenner does it and she will post it on her Instagram that she's getting fluids and stuff. And now it's just, it's becoming more accessible to the average person. And I think also like just my little, I guess, health and wellness two cents is it gives people a little bit more control of their own health their own decisions because I feel like a lot of the medical field kind of gatekeeps a little bit of that the treatment and they like to say yes you need it no you don't and I know when I need a bag of fluid like if I'm dehydrated been sick I know when I'm just dehydrated I'm sure you can tell too and so that's been really fun I guess being able to help people prevent themselves from getting sick or heal themselves without having to go and spend $800 at an urgent care or something. Yeah. And I mean, it's no secret, obviously, how hard you work. And you've 
you talked before, like I'm in your companion pass piece, which I'm going to reference 8 million times until every <laughs> single person has gone and read it because it's so good. And I felt like I could have pulled every single line for us to talk about. But one of the things that you said is that marriage is rarely 50-50, which I think is mm-hmm. so true. And in no more instance than being married to somebody who rodeos. And you've ta- you talked about that in the sense that there were times that your income as a nurse was helping keeping Tristan going in his career so that he could continue to pursue his dreams because I think people on a surface level understand that rodeo is expensive as far as horses go and stuff, but I don't think many people really know how expensive it is. And don't realize the return on that investment that these guys are getting is fairly minimal throughout the year unless you're making the finals. No, I think that's a good point. And I think even me growing up, not really being around a lot of like professional rodeo guys, I'd watch the NFR on TV and I you see what the amount is. I'm like, oh, these guys, they must live in mansions and drive eight horse bloomers. But the reality is all of these guys that are going they're a lot of them are sharing a rig but they're fueling up their own pickup they're driving a truck that they have a note on a trailer that they have a note on a lot of their horses that they have a note on because none of these horses that are going are being bought for i know really 60 to a hundred thousand dollars for a top-notch bulldog and horse and more probably for the other events honestly i think bulldog is probably cheaper in when you start talking calf rope and barrel racing and all that and you're not having just one horse, there's four of them, then you're taking them to get injected at the vet every three months or six months. And that's a thousand, two thousand dollars plus feed plus supplements. We've been really blessed with good sponsors. We would not be able to feed all of our horses if we didn't have like our feed sponsor. But then we still have normal bills. We still have to pay our electricity at home and our regular vehicle notes and health insurance and vehicle insurance and our phone bills and all these things that feed our cows and put fuel in our cars and buy groceries. And these guys that are, when you, they make the finals, obviously that's when they go into the green. I know the way me and Tristan have done it is my work, at least until this last year, would cover all of our bills, cover all of the regular base stuff I was paying the bills every month and Tristan was paying for when he would win or have something go good sell a horse or whatever would pay for whatever the next project was like building the road we had to build the road to get to our house and I think that you know that's a big misconception especially when I go to Fort Worth and winter wins 20,000 and then the trickle down though especially for a lot of those big rodeos second place doesn't pay near that and third, fourth, fifth. And sometimes you go to Houston and run like seven steers and don't maybe win more than 1500 or $3,500, right. you know. What you're paying as a steer wrestler, you're paying mount money probably. I know Luke always was. <laughs> you're paying a hazer. There's no accountant in the world that's going to pencil out rodeo and be like, this is a sound financial <laughs> career. This is great. You're going to make a killing. And I think what you said is that just the nature of it is that what the majority of people see are the biggest rodeos because they're the ones that are put out there the most Mm -hmm. and that are seen by the most people. And so you have places like Calgary, Houston, the American, where they 
are giving really big checks to first or second, maybe. But the rest of the time, these guys are rodeoing for significantly less, even if they're winning. If they're not winning, they're spending just as much, which is a huge component here. Because you can rodeo all year long, spend a ton of money, be lucky if you're not broke or less in huge debt by the time you make the finals or by the time the finals come around. And the reality is only 15 guys are making the finals. So that leaves every other guy that's rodeoed just as hard and was maybe right there a few hundred, a few thousand dollars out. They don't even have that chance to recoup their money. So I definitely think that's something that I wish people understood more. Yeah. And I think that is what makes the NF making the NFR is obviously very prestigious on its own. But when you talk about running at what is it now, $28,000 for one steer, and then what was 70 something for the average, mm-hmm. like that's just like life changing money. Tensions are high and there's so much pressure for them to get there, not just because they want bragging rights and because like guys making playing in the NFL, they get a $100,000 bonus just for getting to the Super Bowl. They don't even have to win. They don't even have to play. You know? yeah. And then these guys have to really work their asses off and not just that, but win. And the mental side of rodeo is just so hard, I feel like, because they've got three seconds and that's it. And then they got to think about it all day through the next day and do it again. When just that much money, it just it puts a lot of pressure on them. So. Yeah. Are there ways in which you try to help Tristan? Because the mental aspect of rodeo is one of the biggest hurdles for sure. It's everything that we've talked about. It's the everything you know you're missing at home. It's the guilt that maybe comes along with that. It's the financial obligations. It's the needing to win to get yourself to the next one. It is so hard to stay on top of your mental game. Are there ways that you try to help Tristan with that. And you can only do so much, of course, because it's him, but it can be the most helpless feeling. I felt when you want to help them because you can see it happening and it's so hard to get them back to where they need to be to even be able to win. No, I think that, yeah, you're right. Being stuck at home when they are struggling is, like I said, it's harder than being stuck at home when they're winning. I think that I like to remind Tristan of what he's already accomplished and try and remind him that he's not in, he's not done the things he's done by accident. It wasn't a fluke. Reminding him, you know, you've put in the hours, you've put in the time, you know what you're capable of, and you just have to allow yourself to do it. You're the only person standing in your own way. And sometimes things just happen and it's out of your control, but you've got another rodeo tomorrow. And I tell them all the time too. I'm like, and guess what? If you're worried about money, you don't need to worry about money. We've done this before when you weren't winning, when you didn't make the finals and we made it work and we'll make it work again. We're not going to starve. We're not going to lose our house. I'll do whatever I have to do. And I think he gets a lot of that support from, he's got one sponsor that's like a good friend that will remind him of the same thing. Hey, I don't want you worrying about fueling up your truck. I can spot you $600 fuel up your truck, which Tristan's not going to be. He wouldn't ask, but just, I think putting that peace of mind there, like you don't need to worry about. Cause I think especially as a father now, that's where his stress comes from. And 
that's where the mental game with rodeo and gets a lot harder not just wanting to win but after like tucson he didn't do well and he said why the hell am i way out here to come and be eight seconds on this piece of shit (laughs) and he's like while you guys are at home like i could be home and going to church with you today and working on the place and i'm like i know if you would have won you'd be happy and you're gonna win at the next one so you got to go to the next one There's this quote I really love from my friend Josie Martin. She said one time, (laughs) it's true. I keep quoting you. I'm going to do this in every companion (laughs) path because I'm like, Josie said, and this was so, so true. And I feel like I've heard these words from Luke. So you're (laughs) basically a world champion steer wrestler. That's where your mind is at here. (laughs) We kind of look alike. So it makes sense. (laughs) In his dreams. Please tell me you're not wearing carpenter (laughs) jeans right now. I might be. (laughs) But you said you can't back in the box feeling like you have to win. And that is so true. If you're thinking about winning, you're never going to win. That can't be where your mind is at. And I think that's so true. So thanks for saying that. (laughs) Sharing your wisdom to all rodeo cowboys. (laughs) Yeah, come to me for my next TED Talk. I'll help everybody. Just make sure you charge people. (laughs) (laughs) No, I just, I think that like, that, yeah, when they're any athlete, but especially bulldogging, if they're out there having fun and being aggressive and just doing it because they're enjoying it, that's when they're going to do their best, when they're feeling comfortable and doing what they really love to do. Because you, bulldogging is one event, you can't like half ass be a bulldogger. You have to do it a hundred percent. You can't just, oh, I'm going to pretend to bulldog every once in a while because you'll hurt yourself and so these guys that are doing it they do it because they really love it and because they put so much time into it any of the guys that are bulldogging right now it's because they've put in hours and hours and hours and hours and are in such great shape to do it and i think that's something bulldogging wise that i think is really cool and also why i think a lot of the bulldoggers that you see at the finals aren't always the younger guys it's like a little bit older end of the field because It's just a different type of event. I think you really hit on something there is that I don't have inside information on other events, but I know like you were just mentioning how much time they put in outside of the arena. And I think that is part of steer wrestling is the fastest event aside from breakaway roping, right? So if you're doing it right, you're four seconds or under. And I think that in three to four seconds, how much is happening, there's not much space for thinking. You have to be at the point where you've prepared enough that muscle memory takes over and you're doing it on autopilot because there's no possible way you can think through a run that fast. So if you're in your head when you're backing in the box, you're not in the right spot. You have to be so singularly focused because it's going to be over so fast. And I think basically all steer wrestlers should just start coming to you and I for advice so we can break this down for them. <laughs> uh, we so know too. everything there is to know about bulldogging. But just give me an extra hundred pounds and I'll try it too. <laughs> okay, before we go, because I know that you have rodeo to get back to, do you have a favorite rodeo moment or memory that we have not already covered that you could share? Oh, a story, goodness. maybe something embarrassing about other bulldoggers. Those are usually my favorite. <laughs> Anything. Oh, my gosh. I, oh, my gosh. I don't know if I should even say this story. <laughs> I'm going to say it. And then I guess if Hunter says I can't. We'll just cut it out. 
We're definitely not getting it out. <laughs> Tristan rodeoed with Hunter Care and Tanner Brenner last year and Ryan Nettle. And once he got in with Hunter, he started rodeoing with him two years ago. And Hunter is just such a great coach and great role model for all these guys. Like he really taught Tristan so much about just how to win and how to have fun while also taking it seriously. I can never thank Hunter enough for what he's done for Tristan. Last year, I was out with him a little bit and they had these bets every week. And it was whoever won the most. If you won more than 4000 during a week, you had to buy the whole rig a steak. I think it was over the 4th of July, their bet was whoever won the least, they were waxing his butt. <laughs> that was their deal. This is already my favorite rodeo story of all time. And so Hunter was the, he lost over 4th of July by like $75 or something. <laughs> it was very close, like $75. So we're in Salt Lake City and they're like, Hunter, today's the day. Like they had time off, whatever. And they're like, Josie, do you have any waxing stuff? I was like, no, horse trailer isn't a great place for waxing, but I do know what she needs. So we go to Ulta, we get him a wax pot, like the waxing beads. And I was, and Hunter takes all of their phones, puts them outside the trailer. He's like, Josie, I'm sorry, but like, you can't be in here for this. Shuts the door, locks the door and you know what happened behind the door i don't really know but they're wait did he do it himself (laughs) no the boys did it oh tristan and hunter tristan and tanner and nettle did it i don't know i didn't ask too many questions (laughs) i almost feel like the guys that had to do it were the ones that lost yeah that's what i was thinking too (laughs) i don't know so yeah that was probably from last summer Yeah. Oh, I've got a more PG one too, I guess. If last summer when we went to Ogden, everybody rides into the river and we had Boudreaux. He's little. We took him. We're walking out in the water, kind of letting him put his feet in and his diaper got wet. And so I go up to the bank and I go to change his diaper while he had pooped in his diaper. And the little, the like turd rolled out of the diaper and into the river. And so all these small daughters are downstream. And Tristan is hollering at them. There's baby poop in the water. Watch out for it. (laughs) So these guys are all trying to scramble so they don't step in the baby poop that was floating down the river. But anyway, that was pretty funny. Oh, so good. (laughs) Thank you for leaving us with those two fantastic mental images that we'll all be able to carry throughout our day now. (laughs) And yeah. (laughs) So good. It was so good to have you on and to chat with you. You're always a ton of fun. And I love hearing your perspective and you've given me so much more material to quote for like at least another two months <laughs> oh good good yeah thank you so much for having me this was fun yes all right wishing tristan lots of luck thanks Lindsay. well that was fun now if you're anything like me and just can't get enough of these behind the scenes stories from our inspiring guests then my website is the perfect place to dig even deeper into the world of rodeo Visit the link in the show notes for even more companion pass content. <laughs>